It's such an honor to be with you. It's beautiful in here, and the chapel isn't bad either. <clears throat> yeah, just turn to someone beside you and say, she's probably talking about you. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, stories in scripture, and there's a whole bunch of uh, times that it's told, but this specific uh, telling of the story, Luke's gospel, I really love it. I love it for a whole bunch of reasons. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you're like, this is really happening. Like, pinch me, this is happening. Like, that the guy that you, you know, really loved actually came over and started talking to you, or like you ran into a celebrity somewhere and you're like, quick, like, snap, and something's real. This is really happening. And this is kind of one of those moments in the disciples' lives. Like, you know, this is something that, like, their grandfathers and grandmothers must have talked about this longing for the Christ to come, for the Messiah to come. And they kind of have this inclination through their journey with Jesus that Jesus just might be that. And then here they are on this mountaintop experience. And Jesus invites these specific disciples to come up him, uh, up with him on the mountain to pray. One of the things that I can't let go, it's not the main message, but I, I, I can't not talk about it, is what Moses and Elijah actually are talking about with Jesus. It's, it's really fascinating, but you know, Jesus is there. First of all, he becomes the first living glowworm in history, right? He like, he like just, ba-da, he comes alive. He's like bright, he's on, he's on fire. I mean, this is like from Daniel to Revelation, this, this uh, Shekinah glory. Uh, Jesus lit up in all of his glory. And if there were any wonderings about whether or not this really was the Messiah, there is the answer right there on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's happening, it's true, it's possible. He's here, like he's the one, like what? And that's all happening and it's kind of really exciting. It says Moses appears, which is weird because like he's dead. And then Elijah shows up, and that's weird because the last time he was seen, he was riding up to heaven in a fiery chariot. So, like, there's some weird stuff going on at the same time that Jesus is uh, revealed in all of his glory. And what Moses and Elijah and Jesus begin to talk about, the scriptures say in Luke 9, is this. They talk about, and this is the word that Luke uses, he, they're talking about the exodus, which is to come. When Jesus is going to exit from the world, but, but, but Luke uses the word exodus. It's really, really interesting that he does that because I don't know about you, but I thought the exodus had already happened, right? It's like the second book of the Bible. It's like Bible 101 for those of you in your first year, right? Like after Genesis comes exodus and exodus is the story of God's people being liberated. Like God hearing the cry of his people and saying, hey, I've got a plan and here's an idea. It's not for you to be slaves. And what's really cool about the story is like, think about it, Moses, who we all thought was never gonna enter the promised land, is in the promised land, by the way, talking with Jesus about another exodus that's coming. Now, I'm so committed to the exodus narrative, I named my youngest son Moses. Uh, he's six years old right now, but ever since he could talk, I, we'd have this little thing, I say to him, Moses, when you see Pharaoh, what are you gonna say? And he always looks at me, he's so, he's like super cute. He's like a big smile. He goes, let my people go. <laughs> and I'm like, that's right, honey. Yeah, that's right. You know, I feel like in so many ways, you know, God, Jesus has this plan. And like the Exodus 
the Exodus was a foretaste of it. It was a, like an appetizer for it. It was this like invitation for people to begin to dream of what it would mean for them to be free and live as free people in the world. What if God never designed anyone to be a slave, but that everyone was going to be free? And what we think is so epic in the narrative of the Exodus story is really just an appetizer compared to the epic story that Jesus wants to invite us in, which is that God's freedom and his purposes of redemption are for absolutely everyone, for the whole world. And that Jesus was going to make a way where it looked like there was no way. And so all that's happening. And then you get to verse 32, which is like got to be the most honest verse in scripture. You read it in another translation that's super simple. It says this, Peter, and uh, who was Peter with? Peter and John had, James, Peter and James had fallen asleep. Awkward. No, no, like I'm serious, like awkward. Peter and James have fallen asleep. In other words, Jesus is glowing. He's the answer of like generations of prayers. I mean, this is happening right now. Moses shows up, Elijah is there, and the disciples are sleeping. Hello. You know, uh, years and years ago when I first started in ministry, I had this dream uh, and it, it kept me awake. It's actually more like a, a nightmare. And it went like this. I, I, I had walked in my dream. I walked through a doorway and the doorway was covered with all these spider webs. And I didn't see it. I didn't see the web, obviously, <laughs> or I wouldn't have walked through it. I walked through it. And as I was walking through the doorway, I could see in my dream that this kind of fat, hairy spider bit me. Uh, and, I, and when I went into this new room, I got really crazy sleepy, like so tired. And I thought, I really need to lie down. I'm exhausted. And then, ta-da, this cot appears in the dream, like just a, a bed. And I'm like, perfect. And I lie down on this bed. As soon as I lie down on the bed, I literally cannot move. I'm paralyzed. I'm still like kind of awake, but I'm completely paralyzed. I can't move. And then from all four corners of the room, these thousands of little tiny spiders See, I'm just trying to keep you awake. These tiny, little tiny spiders came and consumed me. They ate me alive. It's just a dream. Everybody calm down. So like my response to that dream is like your response to that dream. I was basically like, I'm sending that dream back to hell from whence it came, right? Like, I'm like, if ever the devil had an agenda, it's this, right? Spiders, number one, from hell, straight from hell. Two, like... I die in my sleep, which I don't know is in the Bible, but I know in a movie I watched one time, you shouldn't do, right? It's not good for you. So I was like, what do I do? Like, how do I, ah, what do I do? So I prayed it away and I like, you know, anointed my pillow. You know, I did really deep theological things. I slept with my Bible under there just in case that would help, you know? I, and then eventually I called crazy friends because it kept coming back every night. I couldn't sleep. This dream would wake me up. And I called my craziest prayer friends. You know those guys, right? Anyone that owns a shofar, you call them. And I, I said, hey, guys, like, I need you to come, like, get rid of this, like, this, dr- I'm being attacked or something, like, like, Satan hates me, like, and spiders are coming at night, like, ah, help me. So they come and they pray over it and it didn't work. And I was like, you know, hypocrites. Um, I called him back and I was like, you better get back and bring your A game. Like, obviously you didn't fast. I don't know. Like, come. And so then they pray for me again. And they're just like, uh, this one, one woman looks at me and she goes, Danielle, have you asked God? what this dream might mean. <laughs> I don't 
remember going like, no, because I'm not dumb. Like, it's obvious the dream's from hell. Like, the devil's out to get me. Spiders consume me. Hello. Like, I'm not a rocket scientist. And she said, you know, like, it's just my humble opinion that you might want to ask God. So I was like, fine, because I'm kind of like on my last leg here. So I say, God, like, does this dream mean anything? Like, instantly, I, I understood the dream. I understood that the dream was a warning. I understood that God was inviting me to pay attention because what he said is that I had walked through a cultural doorway and I had been infected with a disease and the disease was a spiritual sleepiness. It it was comfort, it was lethargy, it it was a sleepy spirit and that if I gave in to that that, uh, inclination, if I fell asleep, if I chose to lie down, if I said, yeah, I'm too tired to pray, like if I said, yeah, no, I'm exhausted, I couldn't possibly, and I I laid down on, on this, I would be consumed. But here's what God told me so clearly. He said, you won't be consumed in like a battle. Like you won't go out in a blaze of glory. Like you won't go out sort of like fighting a giant or like taking on like a mighty man of David, like taking on the enemy or something like that. You're just gonna be consumed by tiny little bites that mean nothing. You're gonna be consumed by like, I don't know, worship styles. You're going to be consumed by like outfits. You're going to be consumed by like mediums. You're going to be consumed by like what color your dorm is and what carpet is is the freshest. You're going to be consumed by a thousand things that don't even matter. Now, let's be honest, if, if, I, if I was awake, if I could move my body, even though I hate spiders and my inclination is to run screaming to another room asking someone else to come deal with them, if, if it came down to it, me and a spider, I could still take it. I could probably even take thousands of them, actually, if I just stomped hard enough. I mean, proportionally, I'm bigger than them, you know what I'm saying? But if I'm paralyzed, if I've given in to a spirit of sleepiness, if I've, if I'm, I've, I've been allowed to lull myself to sleep, so I, I said to God, God, like, please wake me up. Like, I, I don't want to fall asleep and die a meaningless death, a thousand little spider bites. I don't want to die that way. Like, teach me, how do I wake up? And, and I felt like God told me a secret of how to wake up, and it was this. It was really kind of him. He said, wake yourself up. You know, it's really interesting. He says this all through scripture, by the way, like, wake up, O oh sleeper, rise from the dead. Like, that's how I wake up my children, by the way, in the morning. <laughs> like, but, but the wakefulness, this, you know, Jesus, even the disciples later on, he's going through one of the hardest things of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's like, you know, literally, like, hell itself is like raging against us. Like, this is everything inside of Jesus. He's sweating drops of blood. And he says to the disciples, do you think you might be able to stay awake with me and pray for, I don't know, even one or two hours tonight. I mean, is it just me or do you think the disciples like have narcolepsy? They just like struggle with trying to stay awake. And is it just me or maybe it's not just those disciples that struggle with staying awake. It's all disciples that struggle with staying awake because one of the things that fights against us in this culture and maybe every culture is a spirit, a spiritual spirit of sleepiness. And so one of the things that this scripture reminds me of 
is that, that God is revealing himself with glory. God's revealing himself with power. God's revealing himself with direction and light and insights and revelation in this year that you're at this place right now. God will be revealing himself. He's going to be light to you. He's going to be bringing things that you never understood before, bringing them all together. He's going to be creating this like incredible invitation for you to understand that we are living at such a time as this, that the greatest exodus the world has ever seen is yet to come. Because God has freedom in mind for everyone. And you're invited into this thing. And one of the first things you're going to need to fight is a spiritual sleepiness, is an inclination to just go to sleep because you're tired. And you're not too tired for the latest Netflix. You're just too tired to stay awake and pray, to pay attention to the Christ, to find out what it is that he has for you and what he's inviting you in to do. And I'm going to tell you right now the same thing God told me all those years ago that I'm so thankful for. Wake yourself up. Two ways I did that in my life. One was love and the other was pain. They're both waking agents, by the way, and I'll let you figure that out on your own. Love and pain. They go together. If you're following Jesus, you'll find they go together hand in hand, love and pain. Jesus leads those disciples off the mountain, down into the valley, through the heart of the deepest need of the world, all the way to the cross. Love and pain personified in the person of Christ. You want to wake up? You want to wake up? Wake yourself up and follow Jesus. When the disciples wake up, which by the way is really, really good news, <laughs> right? Because they got, they, they didn't miss it. They didn't miss it. And I always feel comforted in this situation because I feel like even though sometimes I'm given to a sleepy spirit and even though sometimes I succumb to that, that it's still, it's still time. There's still time for you to wake up. There's still time for you to stir yourself. There's still time for you to shake off the dust. There's still time to wake yourself up. You haven't missed it. It's still happening right now. This, this redemption plan that Jesus has made away, this exodus that he has for the whole world to be saved, this idea that God has to bring this, the exodus, the biggest exodus the world's ever seen, still happening right now, and you're still invited, it's not too late. Whew, wake yourself up. And they wake up, and they see Moses, and they see Elijah, and then Peter says what everybody says on the inside, except that Peter's one of those guys that can't keep it in, right? There's no filter for his thoughts, so he says it out loud, and you're like, you just said that out loud, you know? And Peter says, we should make memorials for everybody here. This is amazing. I mean, Moses, if Moses represents anything in the scripture, he represents the past. These guys grew up memorizing Moses' words. <laughs> Moses is like, they would call themselves as young Jewish boys, disciples of Moses. I mean, Moses is like, Mo like, he is like holy Moses. Like, this is the guy they've been following. This is the guy that's been leading them to God. This is the guy that's structured and formed their faith. This is Moses. And then if Elijah represented anything at all, Elijah represents the future. Elijah, the prophet of fire, I mean, all the scriptures were saying that until the spirit of Elijah comes, there isn't even a Messiah, that, that, that Elijah was always pointed to the future, this fiery future, this, this uh, judgmental even future, like this like final sovereign future. And, and Elijah represents the future, if you would, with, just go with me on this one. And, and, and you know, it's, it's really interesting. The past can define us. It can, we can use the past and our structures and our systems, all the things that we've used our whole lives to learn how to measure what success is. It, it's often the thing that our parents are looking to. You know, they're looking to say like, well, I don't know. Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done that? They're like checklists of what's successful or what's right or what's righteous. I mean, all of those things are like part of the drivers that make us want to achieve or perform and do, or do a certain a deal when it comes to religion. These are the things that have defined our religion. 
And Elijah representing the future, these are all our best hopes. These are all the things that we have in our mind that should be and ought to be. These are the things that disillusion people because we have these incredible ideas of a perfect church or a perfect theological school or a perfect professor or perfect other Christian kids that are gonna be like kind and humble all the time. They're gonna be perfectly behaved and like perfectly inclusive. You know, Bonhoeffer said when he was writing a book called Authentic Community or Life Together, he said that the greatest enemy of authentic Christian community is the idea of a perfect Christian community. It's a really interesting thing. The greatest enemy of an authentic Christian community or a Christian experience is this idea that there's a perfect one. And oftentimes when we live in the future or we're constantly got our minds on this future, it's a perfect future we have and we can never live up to it and people never live up to it. And that's when cynicism comes in and that's when despair comes in and that's when hopelessness comes in and that's where people go, I'm out of here. And, and what happens in the story, if you remember, is that, 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 that this, this voice overshadows Peter. I mean, literally God interrupts Peter, isn't that good? Like God just interrupts it. Like that's how you know, by the way, that God is female as well, because um, she's always interrupting, right? This is part of the deal. But this voice comes and says, "Hey, hey, hey, hey!" A cloud overshadows them. Like literally, God just like is like, "Okay, moving on." And, and then the scripture says this: Moses and Elijah disappear. <laughs> they disappear, and, and there's only Jesus. And a voice from heaven says to the disciples, this is my son, listen to him. You know how they catch monkeys in South America? This is a really important part of the scripture. <laughs> you never know when you might need this, but how they catch monkeys in South America is, all they do is they, just, they, they take a coconut, monkey hunters, they take coconuts and they drill a hole in it just big enough for the monkey's hand to go through like this. And they put inside the coconut, they put in sweet rice, which apparently monkeys like dig. And they tie the coconut to the trees and they wait. And the monkeys sniff the sugar. They're just like, what, sweet rice? And they're like, what? And they go into these coconuts, like to the coconuts and they stick their greedy little monkey hands in the coconuts and they, they close them on the sweet rice. And then they realize that they cannot get their hand out of the coconut. And all these monkeys are all over these trees with their hands, with their hands, their sweet, grimy little monkey hands on the sweet rice, and they can't get them out of the coconut. And literally, the hunters go around. This is what it means to hunt monkeys in South America. They take nets, and they untie the coconut, and they take the monkey and put it in the net. Next monkey, put it in the net. Next monkey, put it in the net. And the monkey, what are you thinking of telling the monkey? Just let go of the sweet rice, man. Just let it go, man. Like, just let it go. Like, run for your life, monkey. Like, it's a trap. Like, and that monkey will not let go of that sweet rice. Now, you can tell that story to a Sunday school audience and say, like, you know what the sweet rice is. Like, this is the thing you've heard your whole life. It's obviously drugs or sex or pornography or, like, pick a bad thing. But what if the sweet rice is a good thing? What if the sweet rice is the traditions of your parents? What if the sweet rice is religious 
things with no life in them? What if the sweet rice is success on a scale that somebody else is measuring? What if sweet rice is some utopian picture of what it should be and what you ought to be, but what you never ever are, and it keeps you in this perpetual slavery of trying to be something you're not. See, that opportunity that God gives to the disciples is not only to wake up, but to choose a new way, fresh way away for every single day. The disciples don't have a clue how this is going to unfold. It's a mystery to them. And those disciples, uh, they're just the first ones to discover that nobody has a clue how life's going to unfold when you follow Jesus. Because Jesus gives us a new way, a fresh way. He is the eternally ever-present God. It's not about how it should be or how it was, and it's not about how it should be and how it ought to be. It's about how it is right now with you and Jesus. And God speaks to you and says, I'm not, I'm not your parents, and I'm also not some thing coming from the future that you have to get right. I'm right in front of you. My name's Jesus. Hey, you should listen to me because I have the words of life, and I have a way for you to walk. And, and, and we don't have all the time in the world, but here's, here's what I want to say, that the way that Jesus leads the disciples was a shock to them. It was a shock to them. Even that very day, he leads them off the mountain into the valley, into some of the deepest needs of the world. He leads them to a a boy who nobody can heal and nobody can help. And the disciples are like, too hard, too hard. We're just beginners. We're just beginners. And Jesus is like, bring that boy to me and leads the disciples on a journey through the deepest heart of the world and the deepest pains of the world all the way to the cross and all the way to the resurrection. And he's here. He's here today. He's here with you. He's calling you. He's waking you up from a slumber and he's inviting you to let go of your past and to let go of some perfect future. How many people I meet who tell me they'll get to mission, they'll get to following Jesus as soon as they get the perfect spouse. As soon as I find the perfect husband, I'm like, good luck with that. You might have better luck finding the perfect wife, but still. (laughs) People waiting for the perfect situation, the perfect job, the perfect opportunity, the perfect salary, the perfect scenario, the perfect circumstances, stuck in a loop, never going anywhere, because in the end, you're a monkey caught with your hand in a coconut. Let it go. Let it go. And listen to him. Listen to Jesus who wants to lead you in the way just for you to follow him for today. I, I want to close with a prayer, and I'm hoping you'll, uh, it, you'll give me the luxury of this, but every day I start my day with a, what I call a posture prayer. And it helps me. It helps me to stay open-handed. It helps protect me from being more like a monkey than a disciple. It, it helps me to stay open to the work of God in my life afresh today, you know, Uh, It helps me to posture my life in a discipleship format, to hear the words of God saying, all of this is is fading into the distance, and what matters actually is Jesus. Jesus is the center of it all. And and I wonder if we could close uh, today's chapel with that prayer. So if, if you would indulge me, just stand to your feet.
And uh, you can repeat after me if it's uh, useful to you. It's a posture prayer, so it uses your body. First, I hold my fists up like this, and I make this confession. I say, I confess that my natural posture is to fight for myself and try to make something happen. But I choose, as a disciple of Jesus, a posture of surrender. My life is not my own. Over to you, God. And then I hold my hands out like this in front of me and I say, I confess my natural human posture is to keep, it's to take, it's to hold, it's mine. But I choose as a disciple of Jesus to open my hands in a posture of generosity. Freely I receive. Just take a minute right now to think about what you need for today. I usually start with mercy. I run out of that by about 8 a.m. But there's all kinds of things available to us, forgiveness, fresh mercy, every morning grace and truth and energy and life and hope if you're running out of that. Hope, freedom, deep, deep within, peace. And then I say, everything that I've received, I will freely give today. And the final posture is I cross my hands and I say, I confess my natural posture is to critique, it's to judge, it's to stand apart. It's to say, it's not my problem, <laughs> but I choose as a disciple of Jesus to open my life to the needs of the world in a posture of mission. I am available. I say to the lost, I say to the least, you are welcome here. I pray all this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Turn to the person beside you just as a way of benediction and say, wake up. <laughs>